What's up, everybody? This is LibUX, nominally a podcast about design and user experience for libraries and the higher ed web. Um, this week we have two, not one, guests joining me to talk about the Library Usage and Trends Report that was published on September 9th by the Pew Research Center. Um, these come out every couple of years, or maybe every year, and they're really pretty interesting. Uh, but first, let me introduce Carly Spina. Hi, everyone. <laughs> and uh, Emily King. Hi, everyone. Thanks, guys, for um, for joining me to pick through this. We should, I guess we should all um, say that this report uh, is about public libraries, and none of us are public librarians. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just dive into it. We're just going to kind of chat about it as we go. The link to this report will be in the show notes. And what I wanted to start with was a finding that still the number one activity in at least like public library usage is borrowing print, not e-books. And I made a case a, a long time ago, and I'm glad it kind of holds up, that um, we can kind of chalk this up to a user experience um, problem. The main thing being that in the avenues where ebooks could compete, you know, like they're, they're cheaper to produce, so they could compete on price. They are online and network, so they can compete on cool networky things, animations and stuff. They just don't. And so um, if you look at this as like a UX problem, print books are better, and People would rather read them and experience those than not. And this is still true in 2016, even though, you know, I think many of our institutions are throwing a lot of money at, like, vendor platforms that have e-material. Well, and I think, too, like, the other thing that struck me with that is particularly for libraries it's uh, and public libraries, like, the experience of getting an e-book is still really difficult. And I think that's one of the things I noticed when you see that print book thing is... You know, it's hard to, to use ebooks from libraries in a lot of ways. Like, there's a lot of barriers to it. And print books are still fairly easily easy to get from public libraries and easy to understand as the public library mission. And also, there the data seem to suggest that there's still a little bit of a gap. Not everyone even knows whether their library offers ebooks or not. Some of that might be that they're just not interested enough to find out. So maybe that just means they really do like print books. But I do often think that there are probably libraries that are paying for these ebooks, and a lot of people don't even sort of realize it, especially if they don't go to the library's website much. And it looks like that, um, according to this, that the uh, usage of the library website has dropped off too. Um, not significantly, I think maybe by like two or three points. But that's going down. And yeah, maybe that's a maybe that's also a marketing problem. E- you know, the ebook services cost like a lot of money, especially given you know they're still you know reserved in the same way that uh, physical material is. There's only like one copy available. But one thing I also noticed with that statistic is, like, when people were reporting what they did, they were going to get print books. But when they said, like, what is what do they want the library to do that was very focused on programming and digital tech and right. being, like, a tech playground. So it, it didn't kind of it, – what they did and what they wanted the library to be didn't match up. And I'm wondering um, why that's the case, that there's such a divide between those two. Well, and I was also looking at that and kind of thinking it's so hard to know with some of these surveys exactly what people realize and what people are thinking because the numbers about how many got help from a librarian went down, they said. But I also noticed that a lot of people said that they were going to programs, and a lot of those probably actually are taught by librarians. Mm -hmm. And that was another outreach thing for me was I was wondering how many times do people not think of that as getting help from a librarian? How many times do they not realize that that's actually a librarian who's running the class and who has that expertise, and it's just a new way or a different way for them to get help from a librarian? 
Yeah, I was thinking the same thing when I read that. Like, um, I was like, that's a big jump in people using programming, um, but they're getting less help from the librarians, and <laughs> that didn't seem to match up very well for me. There was a comment that a lot of the people who were saying, like, oh, what libraries should do weren't aware of the things they were asking for actually being presented, but also weren't regular patrons of the library either. Demand from non-users uh, versus... Um, the actual behavior of power users or regular users. It may be useful to be to be able to dif- differentiate that. You know, it's like, oh, it's like maybe 30% say that we should do X, but those 30% aren't like regular library users either. So it's probably useful to consider if we implement X, are those 30% ever going to show up? And maybe they're not. Yeah, I it, noticed that yeah. that as well. That I think it was... Uh the 52% that said that they hadn't used it in the last year seemed to still have pretty strong opinions about what the library should be doing. Um, One of the biggest uh, ones that sort of struck me with that was 50% that said that the library should definitely have 3D printing. And then (laughs) when you looked at the actual numbers, it said 13% of the people actually had used 3D printing. And you so I think like the idea of, well, if we have something like this, public library is definitely where it should be, but I don't actually use that service. Well, and even if they, I think there's also always that problem that even if somebody says they'll use the service, it might be aspirational. And when the time actually right. came, they might not actually make time to come in for it. And it's, or, that's another battle in the outreach venue, I would say, I guess. Yeah, and and so it's it's an interesting conundrum, right? That like public library decision makers have to f- like feel out. I think it represents the um, on one hand, like the hyper local nature of public libraries. Like the library down the street um, might have like wicked cool three D printers, and they might have um, I don't know, like uh, magnesium pools <laughs> that you can jump into. But your library might not. Um, they might not have that demonstrable need or demand for it. And so the services that yours offers, it makes sense, are different because the community isn't global or like, it's, it's barely regional. It's it's local. We do have these like um, bad wagons that get like spun up in library land, like, oh, you know, 3D printers are the greatest thing ever, um, digital media labs. But, you know, I mean, you, you try to copy what New York Public Library does, um, and it's just not going to work, <laughs> like in certain in certain areas because the demand is different. Um, but it also, I think, represents this problem where, shoot, man, I mean, you have um, you do have your actual users and you cater to their needs and you provide and and you have the, and because they're actual users, you have the actual data to respond to. But if that usage is decreasing, you have to be able to expand and you, and garner new users and so it's 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 a game right i mean you don't know if you um if like you know when it, when these non-adopters like offer an opinion on what might make them come into the building or use the service online you don't it's not a guarantee that they're going to use it so it's important that you are able to implement things that might fail without it 
hurting you. And I think with like 3D printers, like 3D printers are costly and they're and they're and they're costly to maintain, right? Like in terms of human hours and learning time, um, especially early on when they just broke all the time. And they don't really scale, right? Like how many like you know like one or two people can use a 3D printer at a time? So unless you have like a factory um, in your public outreach room, like it's not going to benefit the community. It's going to benefit you know a couple people at a time, you know. So. And it's also one of those things too. Like it's not something that I think people a lot of, even they might want to um, be the kind of person that would come and do something really cool with the three D printer in theory, but they some people just don't have the time to sit down to kind of learn what you have to learn to get right. into something like that. It's much easier to go to the stacks, pick up a book, and check it out than it is to get involved in something like three D printing. Another thing I, that oh, go ahead. Oh, do I, and I guess that gets what, to what you were saying about that aspirational sort of ideas of what the library should be, Carly. I don't want to take us too far off topic, but there was also a really interesting release from Pew recently about um, 13% of people who don't in America who don't use the Internet and how mm. that breaks down. And I think that that goes really well with your point about knowing your community and the hyperlocal because – there were a number of demographics that they said related to that, but one of the things they did note was community type. And I think that that sort of shows, you know, you have to know your community first of all. While research data like this can be really interesting and helpful for a public library, you really, I think at least, do need to know what your specific community needs and has an interest in. Because if you're in that type of community that has more people who don't use the internet at all, then that's going to have to completely change your approach to things, I would imagine, and particularly the types of programming that you offer. And, and do you have to think that that hyper, that, that very local opinion has a really big role? Because, you know, like I think here on page one, it says, well, um, uh, uh, people think closing their local public libraries would hurt communities and and often you know funding when it comes to like these these public libraries is um state or you know like a like a, a state or federal matter it's a it's a matter of voting right so if your local community who doesn't use the internet or and you get a 3d printer and it doesn't and they don't use it and they don't find it interesting and it doesn't add value at some point yeah you can see these numbers change right uh people think closing their local public libraries would hurt communities 66% think it would have a major uh, negative impact, but that's only like two thirds, and you know that that could decline. And any 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 amount of that decline has real impact on public library funding. There's a difference between a few percentage points here. It's also like good business to attend to the needs of the community. When I, I'm trying to find uh, that place in the report, because I think that if I remember, it was broken down by like major impact on community and then major impact on you and your family. Oh, and yeah. And I felt like it was about, I'm, I think it was about people of that sort of 66%, like it was only 33% or something that said it would have a major, major impact oh. on them personally. So like about half the people sort of don't think they're going to have a personal impact, but it's going to be an impact on the community. Uh, yeah, impact on their communities, 66% agree, but impact on their, them and their families, um, only 33, it's 33% across the board, 33, like one, so one third agrees that'll have a major impact, another third thinks it won't have any impact at all, and um, the final third is sort of in between. And, and that's kind of scary too, because that demonstrates aspirational opinion of the library, right? You yeah. know, these, these might not be users, 
but they're voters. Yes, <laughs> and yes. um, and like if they actually go into the building and they're like, ooh, you know, maybe this isn't that useful. This this could impact. So, like, what people think the impact on their communities would be is is important. And I think it's important that there is like to recognize there's disparity between those two numbers. Yeah. Well, it just struck me, like, and I think it's because <laughs> that chart also had it that them and their families so neatly divided uh, one third, one third, one third mm-hmm. with the different categories. Like, it just really struck out, stuck out to me. Like, that's about half. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing that um, I wanted to point out was the increase in the number of people who are using the public libraries to take online classes or complete a certification because. Mm. That's something that probably because I'm an academic librarian uh, primarily is something that really interests me. I have long thought that as there's more online classes, people are going to be looking to their public libraries for things that in the past they might have looked to academic libraries for, especially if academic libraries aren't able to make it more seamless for off-campus people to use their resources. And um, so I think that that's going to be really interesting if it continues trend for public libraries because it's going to change the types of expertise they need to have, the types of materials they need to have access to potentially. And it's really something that maybe they aren't necessarily, maybe they are focused on, I don't know, but I think it's maybe something that people think of as, oh, that's something you go to an academic library for and maybe it won't be forever. Carly, that struck out to me, uh, stuck out to me as well because um, we actually have. I'm, I'm at a community college library, and we actually have a public library on our campus. And um, in the early days of our school, um, the public library was the library for the college, and then they realized that it wasn't able to meet the needs of students um, as far as their collections and that type of thing. So they started uh, the library at the community college, um, and we have very different missions from the public library that's literally like a block down from us. And um, I was thinking about that library supporting online students versus our library and um, how their collection really will have to change if they start seeing more and more online students actually using that as their primary library. And I'm wondering about areas where they're not near an academic library that they could otherwise make use of somehow too. You know, if you're in a remote area where maybe you're doing online classes because that's the best option for you and your public library is the only thing you have access to, that could really be noteworthy in the future for public libraries if it continues to be such an upward trajectory. Because it was a fairly significant change between 2015, it was 17%. And now in 2016, they're seeing that as 26% of people are saying that's what they use it for. Have you seen the, um, this came out on September 20th, uh, the Pew, I mean, Pew's been on the ball, um, the Pew Research Center's uh, Digital Readiness Gaps Report. They they were able to essentially like divide people uh, into five groups along a spectrum from least to most ready to engage in kind of um, online or DIY, like internet-based learning. And I thought this was really interesting where at the macro level, they, they have basically two, where 52% of people are relatively hesitant, meaning, um, I'm just going to quote, the, this overall group is made up of people who are less likely to use digital tools in their learning. Um, and this has to do in part with the fact that these groups have generally lower levels of involvement um, with activities like this. It is also tied to their p- 
professed lower level of digital skills and trust in the online environment. But uh, 48% are relatively more prepared. And these groups, um, they broke down into uh, 31% are cautious clickers who have high levels of tech ownership as well as confidence in their online skills and abilities to find trustworthy information. And uh, growing, um, 17% call themselves digitally ready. They're ardent learners already online. They have technology and they're confident about, confident about using their skills and abilities. Um, those people both in this um, more prepared um, uh, cohort are higher income households with some college or higher ed uh, experience in their 30s and 40s and the rest the relatively hesitant are all ages 50 and over all lower income households all lower levels of formal education so it seems that there is a um a trend a growing trend of people who are more likely and more comfortable to use maybe these services that libraries have been providing online for you know a long time to train themselves and it makes sense you know these are people who now we're growing up with YouTube, so like you need to fix something <laughs> in your air conditioner or whatever. Maybe you just YouTube it and you teach yourself. Um, and it's just a first access to technology, but also comfort using it and comfort sussing out the cruft. But that seems to be a growing percentage of the public. I guess I want to like round out to this marker. Uh, it's page f- three. Of the library usage and trends report, where they um, actually looked at the use of uh, you know what the library website is for, and they find that for the mere twenty seven percent of people who have used library websites or apps in the past year, searching library catalogs and placing holds on things is still the main task at hand. But it breaks it down like fifty eight percent of those who have used the library websites search the library's catalog. 44% uh, reserved or placed hold on books, audiobooks, ebooks. 44% conducted research or got homework help. 40% renewed books, DVDs or CDs. 37% used online databases, that's good. And 31% read book reviews or got book recommendations. And it's yeah. really interesting to me that the only one that's gone up since last year at all, and still only 2%, is conducted research or got homework help. <laughs> Everything else seems to be on a slight downward or stable trend. And I wonder um, with this if it's similar to like the print book thing. It's just the the user experience and the expectation. And, you know, even though I know that all of us are doing a lot of work to improve the library website um, and the experience that, that people have, but just that idea of why am I coming here? Maybe it's just not something that's that's getting through to patrons and they can only associate it with those sort of tasks that they associate with the physical library particularly when you're talking about public libraries i hope that it's better for academic libraries as you know someone who does an academic library website it's, it's an interesting problem isn't it because consider all of the services that um both public and, ac- and academic libraries provide especially those that i guess don't fit neatly in um traditional use cases there's literally just a um a design challenge in how you promote or present or just communicate that you offer these services you know there's only so much space there's only so much real estate and so many techniques to say like oh we do all these things well and also it might have to do with how people are accessing because um on the very first page they talk about how um Almost half, 49%, uh, use mobile devices to access the library's website. Mm. And so maybe that – it would be interesting to do more testing, in my opinion, about sort of 
Why, when are people going to your website? Are they going with a very specific task in mind, probably most of the time? And um, why are they choosing to use mobile devices? Is it because that's when they normally use it? Is it because they're suddenly pulling up to the library or going past the library and they suddenly think, oh, I wonder if they have this book? It'd be really interesting to know a little bit more about why those choices are made, but I bet that drives at least to some point, extent the other numbers. Well, I think there's like corresponding research elsewhere. Um, I might be able to drum up uh, some links for the show notes that, you know, part of it might be that like a greater majority of people in general, um, their only access to the Internet is through their phone. So um, so this might literally be I mean, their context may be um, where the phone is their only access to the Internet, like they're in their car or whatever, or they're or they want to look up something quickly. But it could be be other larger browsing contexts too i wonder if um i you know i wonder if there's a role here there's some like i'm sort of fascinated by this concept of like anticipatory design um where we use contextual and behavioral Mm -hmm. data of our users to sort of suggest things and i wonder and uh, yeah there's 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 issues um here with privacy but um i do wonder whether Considering that, you know, all of the website that um, someone might see is on, like, two inches of screen, um, if the best opportunity here to promote services that are outside the norm or renew would be based off their existing use of the library. So, like, yeah, maybe maybe the last five times they visited, they were looking for books and putting them on hold. What if the kind of books they were looking for... um, were aligned with a new service or database that we offered. Is that something that we could bubble up to the top just for those users? And I think there's, you know, there's certainly a lot of precedence here in um, commercial design. Getting found is going to get harder. (laughs) There's just so much more content and so less time. And I wonder if implementing new services and and making sure they're successful require changing ideas that we have about um, what how library websites are even presented. You know, if they can be individualized, maybe that's for the best. Well, another thing that that what you said just made me think of, and you know, I've thought of it in the past too, is like when you go to a physical library, it's it's a physical location, and all of the services are associated together because they all happen physically in the same place. But the web is a very different. Uh, entity, it doesn't it doesn't exist in a physical sense in that same way. When you think of something like Google, you don't go to one Google to get all of your stuff from there. You go to whatever um, whatever service that you want, and all of their services are differentiated. So you know, I think part of our problem is we're a lot of times the library website has so much going on on it, but if maybe we were asking people about an individual service or um, putting those services like in a more differentiated way for people to parse through, maybe they would think about it differently and they'd be like, oh yes, I do use OverDrive or something or associate something like that instead of just like the, the library website. Maybe they in a survey like this, maybe it's hard for them to conceptualize what a library website is outside of those basic functions that they associate with the physical library. You know, what's interesting. Um, you, you just mentioned overdrive. There's, um, I'm in an academic library, but, um, my, uh, my, the Broward County public library, um, has overdrive and I prefer it to the thing that we offer. So I use that. Um, but, (laughs) um, I only access their library website 
through the OverDrive app and only to log in. So the workflow is like I open up the OverDrive app and I go to log in and it redirects me to their login page, which is like a couple boxes. I hit submit and it takes me back into the OverDrive library. Broward Library has no other way to reach me i intentionally like you know i i don't get their newsletter i don't i don't want that i don't i don't want any of this stuff i don't want them to contact me at all (laughs) (laughs) but but, um but like i'm also um i've also will never know anything cool that they're doing um ever (laughs) that might act that might actually appeal to me but you know again it's just because i use this one service and that that may be true for like a lot of folks um the problem being that, like, if they started, like, throwing ads or pop-ups at me while I was trying to find a book, like, I would be really irritated and I'd leave. I think it's tough in situations like that where somebody's accessing only the ebooks, But I think that there might be things that you can do with some of this data that can actually be put into place in your physical library as well, which I'm sure some public libraries are already even doing. But I'm thinking about, you know, people are saying they mostly still want to check out physical books. So things like collecting data are most of your hold requests coming through a mobile device. If so, maybe your hold section should have posters about what else you offer online. You know, that's the sort of thing that maybe you can work with this data in a way, or maybe if people are mostly coming into the library just to pick up holds, maybe you can put bookmarks in each of your hold books that have events that are coming up in the library. And Ways of taking advantage of the fact that even if people are just running in the door to grab the hold and leave, maybe at the points that they have to stop in the library, they're seeing your message. And that's where it's really tricky online because there's less of those points. Like, exactly. Like um, with OverDrive, as, as Michael was saying, like it's you. Ha- it's a completely separate thing from the libraries. That you know, like we don't have a lot of control over those vendor. Uh, applications and how people are interacting with it but it's part of the ecosystem of the library and our services but maybe people don't realize that and when it comes time to vote again our since our funding comes um or a lot of public library funding comes from votes like maybe they think oh well all this stuff is online i don't need to (laughs) support the library anymore which is you know the worst thing that we want them to think Maybe in my case, it also doesn't matter that I don't use any of the other library services, right? I am a regular user of one service, and that's probably sufficient because it generates circulation stats. The the idea that there's a design challenge to promote additional services is sort of a misnomer because they are nevertheless captured users and there's no churn. There's no, they're not leaving. Maybe like uh, it requires like a mental shift where it's okay that the services remain separate and they retain the brand, but they are optimized for that one service. When you're in Google Docs, you're not being constantly um, irritated by Google about other services they offer. I only use a couple of them. We're using one right now, but they probably don't care that we don't use the others because we're still we're still customers. We are still users, and we're not really going anywhere. Well, I think that is a good point. Like, um, maybe our focus should be more on improving the experience with the services that we know that uh, users are using and not worrying about getting them to use different ones, but just making that one experience a really positive one. I'm thinking about that because I I guess I do think that what 
companies like Google do, though, is they do sort of nudge you to their other products in some ways. So I, I guess one of the things I'm thinking about is, um, for example, like with, when you are in overdrive, a lot of times there is an option to click out and buy the book instead, instead of an option to see whether the library has it in print. Whereas in a Google scenario, they're usually trying to push you towards their other products, if anything. Sometimes you're not getting pushed at all, but I'm thinking, you know, like with Google Hangouts, now they're, you could have gone to a completely different service now that that's sort of being done away with. But instead, they're nudging you, here, go to YouTube instead. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, interesting. Yeah. But, but isn't that in the case of them retiring one service? And they True. All, but, they, but they have already got a replacement? But um, I think that, that that happens other times, too, where it's maybe they make it easier or more beneficial to use some of their other services. Sure, whereas single sign-on. Yeah, whereas a lot of times I think that with libraries, and it's not really our fault, like often where there isn't that option, but, you know, that there isn't that, it would be nice if there was a little bit more of that, the ebook's checked out, here's the print version that you can just stop by and pick up on the shelf or something like that, that we're Ooh. maybe not always taking full advantage of in a way that we could. And instead, that, a lot that of times, a, oh no, go ahead. So that I think that is a really good point. Like getting into um, this better integration between our services in the online environment, because I think we do do that pretty good in person, and maybe that's more of what we're seeing rather than um, just it's um, it's just easier for our users to integrate. Uh, with the the print services and the, and the in-person services, they can see that, oh, there's a program right there that's related to something that I'm doing. But in the online, we just, we don't do integration really well. Um, and we just need to work on that ease of transferability, I guess it would be called. And I think that some, some libraries are starting to do stuff like this, but that's really where I see that there, there would be a way of not making it necessarily pushy, but I think there's a lot of ways we could do that. If you search the catalog for a book, make it more obvious that there's both the option for the ebook and the print version. If you search it for, um, like, let's say I am looking for the DVD of The Martian. Maybe it should also pop up and tell me that there's a book because maybe I didn't realize that and I might also want to read the book if I like the movie. Um, if you've got an author coming to speak, maybe for the month before, as long, or as long as you have that ad for the speaking engagement up, every time somebody searches for the book, it pops up with the fact that you have an event coming up too. And that way you're not really trying to push people too heavily to go to these things, but you're just sort of taking advantage. It's sort of what you were saying about um, before about taking advantage of um, data we can get about their interests, but instead of making it long-term data, just making it really like this one search prompts me. Yeah, to know that this is something that they're interested in. And that might be a way of um, seeming a little bit less like we're throwing everything at them because we're not sure what they want and instead more just organically saying oh because of this we know that you might be interested in that so like pushing them without them even realizing that they're being pushed in one direction or another to services and instead just having it be something that because they see it i think that most people probably wouldn't even see that as being pushed and instead they would just be happy about it if anything like they would either ignore it or they would be really interested to know that that was information was out there. So it almost seems like it, it's not, I'm certainly not saying that it's easy to do with our current systems, but I think that it could be beneficial. I think that's a really good place to leave it. 
Carly, where can people find you online? Or is there anything that you want to drive attention to, like any current projects you're working on or a blog? Um, well, people can find me online probably most easily on Twitter, where it's just um, at Carly Spina is my Twitter name. So that's really easy. Um, and, yeah, always reach out to me on Twitter. I'm very available there. What about you, Emily? Uh, the best place to find me as well is Twitter. Um, my username is Emily King at CSN. Um, and at is spelled out as A-T. Emily King is a very common name, so you have to be a little creative with the usernames. <laughs> Thank you so much, guys, for um, joining me. I think this uh, turned out really well. Um, I hope I can have you guys on again. I, th- I-, I think we were kind of le- leaning towards some um, tangents that I would love to explore. <laughs>